You're listening to sermon audio from Ransom City Church. For more audio content, visit ransomcitychurch.org. We are continuing uh, online services in lieu of gathering together uh, physically. Um, Until further notice, we'll just keep you guys posted and let you know when we have updates uh, as soon as we do. Um, But until further notice, that's the plan in lieu of meeting um, uh, together physically. We'll continue online services until further notice. Um, We're continuing our series that we've been going through for a little while through the book of Romans, which brings us to uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 18. If you want to flip there, Romans 3, 9 through 18. And... Um, I will read our text and pray for us, and we'll jump right in. So again, Romans 3, 9 through 18. It says this. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is our text for this morning. Uh, Pray with me and we'll jump in. Lord, just be with us as we, Lord, study your word together, continue to gather together um, using the resources available to us in an unconventional time. Lord, be with us in that. Um, We pray that you would bless our time uh, in the word together this morning. Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word, to respond with humility and repentance where we are out of step with it. Um, Lord, give us the desire and the ability to do so and help us to remember and and have our time this morning centered on the truth that you, Lord Jesus, are our our one and only hope of forgiveness, of righteousness, and of salvation. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. So Romans 3, 9 through 18, uh, we'll walk through our text. So starting in verse 9 says this, What then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. But here, looking back to the previous text, you might be thinking, wait, Paul, I thought you just said in, in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, then what advantage has the Jew or uh, is uh, what is the value of circumcision much in every way? That's what Paul said in, in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and then talked about the advantage of growing up with the revealed will, meaning the word of God, right? Now you're saying the Jews have no advantage. What gives? Right? Is, is Paul contradicting himself? The answer to this is no. Um, Paul is saying just because you grew up with and around the word of God, which is an advantage, is a blessing. Because in God's word are the words of life, right? Going back to what Chris preached last week. But just because you grew up with and, and around the word of God doesn't give you an advantage in terms of right standing with God as if you're part of some privileged class, safe from the wrath of God, just by virtue of growing up around the word. It doesn't work that way. That's what Paul is saying. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, as we see in Romans 
3.23. And the wages of sin, meaning what sin deserves, is death. Spiritual death, hell, right? And we see in Romans 6.23. So we all, every sinner, stand condemned and are headed to hell apart from Christ regardless of whether we grew up around the word or not, because that is not what saves. It's faith in Christ alone that saves. Amen, right? That's Paul's point. And that's true for those who grew up in a Jewish household, and it's true for those who grew up in a Christian household, the family that you were born into, growing up with Bibles in the house, the faith of your parents will not save you faith in Christ alone, a faith that you personally must possess, is what will. That's what Paul's point is here in this text this morning. So Paul is saying that we're not saved through osmosis by just being around the Bible. To give you an illustration, that's kind of what Paul's driving at here. We must believe the good news of the gospel of salvation through faith in Christ that's in it, that's in our Bibles to be saved, right? So in this way, the Jews are no better off because they're under the the penalty, the condemnation of their sin, just like everybody else apart from Christ. That's what Paul's driving at here. And now Paul is going to spend verses 10 through 18 unpacking the hopeless situation that we're all in in our sin both Jew and Gentile alike, apart from Christ. That's what he's going to do in verses 10 through 18. So let's look at 10 through 18. I'll read it and then we'll we'll work through it. It says, as, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, Paul quotes uh, or references a number of different Old Testament texts here, uh, a number of different references here to different Psalms, some references from Isaiah, for instance. Um, But he does this to make his point that on our own, all of humanity again, both Jew and Gentile alike, stands condemned in their sin and are hopeless to save themselves. That's Paul's point. So let's walk through verses 10 through 18, section by section. We'll just kind of walk through it uh, somewhat briskly and unpack what Paul's getting at in, in these verses. Verse 10 says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Meaning on our own, none of us when measured against God's perfect standard of righteousness, as revealed in his word, can be seen to be righteous, right? By our works, we therefore do not deserve salvation, right? We don't deserve to be a part of the kingdom and the family of our holy creator, God, but instead by our works, we deserve only condemnation as criminals in God's courtroom. That's what Paul's getting at. By our works, we deserve not rescue, but judgment as traitors, as we've talked about before, guilty of cosmic high treason against our creator, God, and king of all creation, right? That's what our works deserve, all of us. Condemnation, hell, not salvation. And our religious background, our upbringing, the family we were born into, doesn't change that. This is the boat that we're all in apart from Christ. 
That's what Paul's getting at here. Verse 10, or verse 11, excuse me. No one understands, no one seeks for God. He's getting at on our own, apart from God doing a work in us, no one understands the things of God, right? No one sees the gospel as the good news that it is, apart from God doing a work in us, right? Nor do we seek after God because we don't want to in our natural state, right? We need God to cause us to be born again. We need God to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and and new hearts that actually do desire him in order for that to change, right? In order to change that. And even then, we still don't understand or seek for God and the things of God the way that we ought to, to the degree that we ought to, even as believers. Why? Because we're still sinners. We still have a sinful nature that gets in the way, right? Paul is further painting the picture of the hopeless situation we're all in on our own in our sin. We can't even believe and be saved apart from a work of God in us. That's what he's highlighting here, right? We have no interest in seeking God on our own apart from God doing a work in us, right? To to give you an illustration, in our natural state, the conveyor belt of our sinful hearts only moves toward sin and away from God. So the question is, if that's true, how can we save ourselves? We don't want anything to do with the God who saves. So how can we save ourselves? Rhetorical question, the answer is we can't. We cannot save ourselves. We, we need God to do a work in us that we'd repent and believe in Christ and be saved, right? To, to put it bluntly, we need God to seek us that we would seek him. I'll say that again. We need God to seek us that we would seek him. Now, verse 12 keeps going. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. I think the ESV study summarizes this verse well. They say this, when Paul says none is righteous, no one seeks for God and no one does good, he means that no human being on his own seeks for God or does any good that merits salvation. Paul does not deny that human beings uh, perform some actions that conform externally to goodness, but these actions prior to salvation are still stained by evil since they are not done for God's glory, as it talks about in Romans 1.21, and do not come from faith, as it talks about in Romans 14.23. And frankly, church, even as believers, our works still don't measure up to God's standard of goodness. Right? Doing the perfectly right thing for the perfectly right reasons. <laughs> Loving God with all of our heart and soul and mind. Who among us can look in the mirror and honestly say that we've ever done that? The, the answer truly is none of us, right? None of us. Our best works, even as believers, are still tainted by sin. R.C. Sproul summarizes this well in his commentary on Romans. He says, If that is the standard of a good deed, then even after our conversion, there is a pound of flesh in everything we do. I think that's a very good way to summarize that. This is why scripture says, No one is good except God alone, in Mark 10, 18. Because God alone is perfectly holy and therefore truly good. And this really destroys uh, a very popular lie that people often believe in our culture, the the lie of, uh, I'm a good person, so I'll get into heaven. I'm I'm not going to hell because I'm I'm generally a good person, right? This is a lie people often believe. This is a favorite go-to in our culture. Well, I hate to break it to you, 
But here's what scripture is driving at here. Scripture is telling us you're not going to make the cut. <laughs> None of us are, right? Because no one is good, meaning truly good, as God defines it, except God alone. Amen? Verses 13 and 14. Now, at this point, <laughs> it, it feels like Paul is, is really just piling on. <laughs> at this point, this is kind of a, if you picture a, a, a fight, it's kind of a throw in the towel, the fight is over moment. Like, it's already, we're already in trouble. But, but he wants to make his argument crystal clear, so he keeps going. Verse 13 and 14, he says, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Frankly, if there were still any question about the sinfulness of man at this point, here Paul goes for the throat. Literally. See what I did there? <laughs> and goes after our speech. If you ever have any doubt about the sinful nature of man, just listen to how people talk. Right? That'll tend to clear things right up. Um, be it lying and, and trying to deceive people for personal gain, be it blaspheming or just general corrupting talk that doesn't build up or fit the occasion, as is talked about in Ephesians 4.29, few things display the sinful nature of man quite like the way we talk, frankly. Because, as it says in Luke 6.45, out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks, right? Meaning sinful speech displays what? It displays a sinful heart. And humanity has plenty of sinful speech to go around. <laughs> um, uh, we, we work in sinful speech to quote a Christmas story uh, the way other artists might work in oils or clay. That, that, that's kind of our MO as sinful humanity, right? And if you're thinking as I'm saying that, well, not me. Okay. Well, what about when you're alone? What about when no one is watching or no one is listening? What about in traffic? <laughs> What about when you're hanging out with your non-Christian friends who don't share your values? Or church, how about sitting at home watching the news right now? <laughs> Getting frustrated at times at our governing officials, watching the economy nosedive, and the stay-at-home orders get extended. What about then? What about your speech then? Are we proud of everything we've been saying in a trying season in the comfort of our own homes? I didn't think so. And if you're still thinking, I'm not talking to you, well, as we've talked about before, now I am because you're lying, right? Absolutely none of that applies to you, none of it. Absolutely none of it. You, you've never been guilty of saying things that you shouldn't. You're proud of everything you've ever said. Come on, Let, let's be real, right? You're guilty and deserving of condemnation here, just like the rest of us. We're all in this together. Verse 15 through 17 goes on to say, their feet are swift to shed blood, in their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. Now, similar to spe speech here, uh, Paul is highlighting few things so obviously display the sinfulness of man, like the abundance of unrighteous violence throughout human history. <laughs> Right? We have quite the rich and deep history here going all the way back to Cain and Abel. Right? I'll give you an illustration of that in this current season. Even uh, in this season, when we're stuck at home for the most part due to COVID-19, what's one of the things that people are most worried about? You've probably heard people talk about this, or you're likely to have. 
and it's this if this goes on for an extended period of time the crime rate may well go up and we may we may see things like robberies increase as people get desperate right now here's why i'm highlighting that do we have that concern because people are basically good or do we have that concern because people are sinful by nature <laughs> right exactly and that's paul's point that's paul's point that's why i want to highlight that present example so before you go not me similarly to with speech first john three fifteen says everyone who hates his brother is a murderer <laughs> so there's that right so at the very least we're all guilty of violence in our hearts and we're all worthy of hell for that and so i just want to remind us of that truth church so that we remember that next time we want to get all high and mighty about man's inhumanity to man what about your heart, bro? Right? Probably have some sin of your own to repent of. Right? You got a lot of little log and spec situation going on there, right? How about we take care of that log in our own eye first, okay? All right. Verse 18 then is, is kind of a summary of the whole passage and the root cause of a lot of what we already talked about in this section. It says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. In other words, they do not revere God. They do not desire to honor and glorify him as God or fear his judgment against their sin. This is all of us in our natural state left to our own vices, right? Which only leads to further and further sin. It's like running up the tab because you think the bill is never going to come. So it's kind of a, a, a mentality of, we'll live it up. We're never going to have to deal with this. We're never going to have to answer for this, right? Credit cards are just free money. We, we don't have to pay for this. The credit card company does that. That pit of your stomach feeling at hearing that illustration is the correct response <laughs> because that's not true, right? Either for credit cards or for your sin. Every sin will be paid for. It's either paid for by Christ on our behalf if we put faith in him. He's already paid for it in his death on the cross, or we will pay for it ourselves in hell. Those are the only two options. And there will, frankly, there will come a day when the bill comes due. And we will be out of time to, pay, to make payment arrangements, so to speak, <laughs> when either we die or Christ returns. And we don't know when that will be. So look to him by faith, put faith in him that you'd be saved while there's still time, right? As both Psalms and Proverbs says uh, repeatedly, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, in, in this verse, the reverse is true, right? A lack of a fear of the Lord leads to further and further sin, which is a pretty good summary of this whole passage, right? So... In summary of our text this morning, if you're taking notes, uh, you can write this down. Here's our main point. It's this. No one is righteous. All stand condemned apart from Christ. No one is righteous. All stand condemned apart from Christ, both Jew and Gentile alike. Right? The, the family that you were born into, growing up with Bibles in the house, uh, the faith of your parents does not change that and will not save you. The only thing that will is faith in Jesus. Because we're not saved, as we talked about, through osmosis, right? We're saved by grace. It's undeserved, undeserved favor through faith in Jesus alone. A faith that we, not our parents, not our pastors, not our community group leaders, not our spouses, a faith that we must personally possess. Why? 
Why are we saved? Not by our works, not by our upbringing, but by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, because no one is good except God alone, as it says in Mark 10, 18. But here's the good news. Do you know who that includes? That includes the one who said that in Mark 10, 18, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who fulfilled all righteousness for us in our place, who was and is perfectly and truly good, and that perfect righteousness is counted to us, church, by faith. So in thinking through that, there's a sense in which if you're a good person, you will be saved. It's just that no one is good except those who are counted good through faith in Jesus and his perfect life and sacrificial death on the cross on our behalf. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus pays for our sin in his death on the cross for us and we are gifted his perfect righteousness. His perfect righteousness, his fulfilling of all righteousness is counted to us by faith so that we are made righteous before God. So what do we do now? How should we respond to this text? Well, a couple of things I want to leave us with to just ask ourselves as we close, okay? Number one, is our hope, our hope of righteousness, of forgiveness, of salvation, of eternal life, uh, eternal life is our hope in Christ alone or is it in something else? Maybe our church attendance, maybe our church involvement, how much we serve sacrificially for the church, maybe our church background, the fact that we were raised in a Christian home, maybe the fact that we give generously, maybe our general knowledge of the word or that we try to be good people. Again, the problem being no one is good except God alone. All of these things are works that cannot and will not save. Faith in Christ alone is what saves right, is what will save. So do we think we'll be saved through osmosis just by virtue of going to church or by going to community group or frankly, by watching this sermon right now as we live stream? Because the truth is we won't. We won't be saved by those things. It is faith in Christ alone that saves. So again, is our hope in Christ alone or is it in something else? If so, if it isn't something else, let's repent and look to Christ as our only hope, either for the first time, if we're not believers coming in here this morning, watching this this morning, or anew, if we do believe in Christ, but part of us has started to drift. So that's the first question. Is our hope of righteousness, of forgiveness, of salvation, of, uh, of forgiveness, of salvation, of eternal life in Christ alone, or is it in something else? Secondly, second question to ask ourselves is this, do we boldly preach the bad news when we preach the good news of the gospel? I'll say that again. Do we boldly preach the bad news when we preach the good news of the gospel? The bad news that no one is good except God alone, and all who are accounted good through faith in Jesus. The bad news that no one is righteous and all of us stand condemned apart from faith in Jesus. Do we boldly preach the bad news when we preach the good news of the gospel? Because if we don't come to terms with the bad news, if we don't see our hopelessness apart from Christ for what it is, then we won't see our need for the good news or hear it as the good news that it really is. 
And the same is true for our hearers. The same is true for the people we're preaching the gospel to. So the question again is, do we, church, boldly preach the bad news when we preach the good news of the gospel? Because our hearers need to hear it. Pray with me as we close. Lord, we thank you for our time together this morning. We thank you for this reminder that all of us stand condemned on our own in our sin Jew and Gentile alike, apart from faith in Christ. I pray that we remember that truth. Remember our hopelessness to save ourselves, but the good news of the gospel that we are saved completely in Jesus through faith in him and his perfect life and sacrificial death on our behalf. Lord, I pray that that would be our hope the rest of our time this morning, the rest of this week in in a trying season and in the rest of our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.